I'm really excited to announce that we're gonna have a five-part web-based series called From Stress to Success. These sessions are gonna have lots of discussion about these areas. And again, really practical things that when put together, create a great path towards not just surviving, but thriving in challenging times. The topics are managing burnout and emotional labor, thriving through long-term stress, protecting your sleep, creating spaces of vulnerability for yourself and your team, and finally, energy management. The conversation about mental health has never been more open than it is now, and we have an opportunity to go even further with that. I think back to my time as a therapist, and sometimes it felt like we had the secret combination that could really help people that really wasn't being broadcasted out to enough. So why don't we take this next step together? Please follow the link and I hope you'll join us. Podcasting has latched on and has stayed and has only grown larger. So I think it's going to continue. People are going to make investments. People are still like, I would compare to like a grade level perspective. I would say podcasting is probably probably maybe like fifth or sixth grade. Like they know how to tie their shoes, roughly speaking, as an industry. <laughs> but like it's not as evolved as obviously like radio and television. So in five to 10 to 15 years, like it's only going to become larger. We have no clue where the ceiling is until we see that ceiling, until we see the plateau of it, then we'll probably be able to more accurately explain where it's like, okay, this is as popular as like television was for, you know, whatever, the final episode of MASH where like half of the entire nation <laughs> tuned into it or whatever. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, today's guest is an old friend of mine and someone who has just consistently done cool things. And when I say cool things, there are things that have been some like, you know, in front of you, like playing in a band on a stage, but also behind the stage th or behind the scene things like record labels or podcasts. And then also what he does professionally, an interesting person and also someone who's just like unabashedly themselves, always positive, always pushing forward and very willing to be like vulnerable and honest about where he's at too. So this is a great conversation with someone I have a lot of respect for. Before we get to it, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference, so thank you. Uh, my name is Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ram. I'm excited to be, I mean, I know people are supposed to say they're excited to be having a conversation with you, but I genuinely enjoy what you do, how thoughtful you are. I respected when we did our podcast together, which I'm sure we'll talk about later at some capacity, but the idea of you being thoughtful about your word choices and responses, because most people aren't and the economy of words, which I don't have a talent of, obviously, because I'm stepping over all your intro. But uh, <laughs> just just that idea, I was just like, oh, not only do I like this guy, but like he's obviously very thoughtful on top of it. So anyways, I'm just excited to be here. That is the most like Ray intro, like perfect, perfect. start. Thank you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> all right. So for those, uh, the uninitiated, for the people who don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Yes. So I am Ray Harkins. I, uh, most people know me kind of through the podcast world, as it were. I host a podcast called 100 Words or Less. Um, 
And I also sang for a band called Taken in the late 90s, early 2000s that still technically exists because we get to go to Japan once a year, which I'll do until I'm 150 years old. And then uh, worked at record labels, as you mentioned before, worked at Century Media Records, worked at uh, No Sleep Records for a little bit, and then just been, you know, a general music nerd industry lover. Um, and then also have worked in the podcast space for about 10 years doing ad sales and then existing in different environments that are not related to the punk and hardcore scene. Um, so that, that is a not short way of describing myself. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Let's start with the, the podcast world. I was thinking about this today. I've known, I mean, you and I both know a ton of people have podcasts and some are, are great. Like shout out to Jeremy, love his podcast. Yep. Really, really cool. Some are okay. And some are short lived. And in fact, I'd say like the thing about podcasts is like everyone I know has had a podcast, but they've had it for like a month or two months or however long, because it's, it's a hard gig. You are the first person to my recollection, and I really racked my head thinking about it, who's had a legitimately cool, high quality podcast. And when I mean quality, quality conversation, uh, quality podcast for a super long time. So what can you tell us about the podcast? Yes, I am proud of the fact that I've been so consistent because I think that was something that, uh, to your point, like people like the idea, especially now because podcasting means something different in 2023 than it did in 2013 when I started to really do it in earnest. And so I think in regards to the podcast, like just the focus of, okay, this is something fun that I want to do with friends. I noticed a lot about the same sort of principles that we have experience in playing in bands where we didn't ask permission from our parents to do it. Like, I was just like, oh yeah, I, this would be fun. And like, I really, it was just an extension of the things I was also interested in, in regards to like zine culture and interviews. It was like, this is just a modern version of this. So why not do it? And I also like if you go way back into the archives, the like I'm talking about like the first like 20 or so episodes, it was a whole different show. It was called First World Problems, where I basically it was me, two of my best friends, Joey Kay, who I know you're friends with, um, and then another friend of ours, Scott Arnold. And then we would have another person like yourself join in kind of loose pop culture talk or whatever. And then, you know, sort of pseudo interviews. Um, what I realized was just like, oh, I don't. It's not that I don't like working with people, but it became like babysitting because, you know, scheduling is awful with Terrible. more than one person. Terrible. And so once I started to realize, I'm like, hey, I can just do this by myself, not because I am stronger without you, but just like the ease of use. I never want this to feel like a job. And so once I got that flow down, it was so easy for me to, you know, have done it for the better part. I think I'm approaching on like the 11th year in podcasting of my own show. And because I recognized that relatively early on, I think that was able to propel me forward to where now many friends and other people have pointed to me being like, oh, yeah, like I listened to your show, you know, in high school or whatever. <laughs> Just like, that's really funny to think about. But that's the same premise that so many people run across in, you know, bands that have lasted longer than like two full lengths where it's like, oh yeah, like your band was influential. It's like, oh, that's great. And you listened to it when you were in junior high? It's like, oh, okay, that makes me feel old, but that's totally fine. I really like the the reference when you're like, oh, it's kind of like a, a modern fanzine. I I wouldn't have put it that way, but now that you're saying it, it's like, it's like, a, 
it's like a modern long form fanzine yeah. where you can really get into things. But just like a fanzine, people can pick it up and then put it back down, but then come back to it again. Right? Yeah. It's not like a TV program back in the old days where you had to tape it or, or whatever it is. Your podcast is, is interesting to me because you have done it for so long. And just like anything that you do for a long time, it's gotten better, but it hasn't gotten worse. So like, you know, sometimes with like a band, let's say like a band can go for a long time and then they they just have their maintenance records after a of while, course. right? Like we got to put out a record this year or a zine can get, can get bad because zines are so labor intensive. Yours, your podcast had got better over time, but then stayed very, very consistent. The only thing that I've noticed changing is you're getting kind of a different reach of guests as you're, as you're going along. And also like you'll do a, like a guest who's like kind of a throw, like a, not a throwback, but kind of an interesting twist. Like when you did Tim Singer, yeah, which you know, kiss a goodbye, of course. but that one was like, you're starting to get like pretty notable guests having cool conversations. But then Tim, who I think probably would be the first guy to be like, I don't think anyone cares about hearing me on a podcast, but so many people care. And that was a cool episode. Yeah. So going back to the consistency space and actually let's get to consistency in a second. When you started it, when you picked the name, like why that name and all those things, but how did you learn the craft? Yeah. So the name was it's like everything else was like a total throwaway thought. <laughs> like the same thing can be about band names where you're just like looking on other record cover back, you know, song titles or whatever looking. I mean, I remember back in the day, like looking at like thesauruses where it's like, I like this word, but is there another whatever? It's so dumb. But um, the idea came to me where it was it, it was something common that teachers said at school where it's like in 100 words or less or, you know, 200 words or less. And so the idea of that just that kind of stuck with me where I'm like, that's it's an ambiguous enough name for people to be like, is this a really short podcast? Like, well, well I, I don't understand this. And so it was enough to like stick in people's heads where they knew that uh, or it made them curious about it. Um, that was an unintentional thing. I just thought it was funny because I was like, oh, 100 words or less. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. And anybody that knows me for longer than 10 minutes, like knows that I'm verbose and not succinct in the way that I describe things. So therein was kind of a tongue in cheek thing where it's like, oh yeah, this is funny because I can never do something in 100 words or less. Like I've done media <laughs> training before and they were like, yeah, Ray, so you're not going to be for the TV hits. You're going to be for like the written stuff. I'm like, that's no problem. I can't do something in 30 seconds. That's tough. Um, so once I decided, landed on the name, um, then it was honestly, a lot of it I brought over from like zine writing. Cause I did contribute to a lot of different zines, whether it was like status fanzine, law of inertia. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other places I did a few pieces in alternative press. Cause that was kind of something that I picked up. I remember my first interview I did was with uh, that band, small brown bike at the parking lot of Chain Reaction, um, many, many moons. This was probably 97 or 98. And I just loved sitting down with Mike Reed, who I then had on the podcast, like, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I was like, you don't remember this, but he's like, oh no, I did. Because like, you asked questions that like, weren't stupid. I was like, that's great. Like as a 17 year old asking you questions that weren't punishing, it was awesome. So I feel like I developed some sense of understanding what the flow of a conversation should be and realizing that because I, I think a lot of people especially in the idea of podcasting is that it's a and you know you could argue obviously playing in bands and like anything entertainment related there's a lot of ego attached to it it's like I'm the host I'm the person that's here I'm the voice that's constantly in your head 
I realized that this was a literal conversation and I shouldn't just move past. Like I also, I so distinctly remember a conversation I was having with Jordan from Newfound Glory. I went over to his house because oddly enough, like he married one of my high school best friends or whatever. So it was a nice night. We had a family dinner. It was a whole thing. Anyways, meeting up with him. Um, and he's not the person that most people think of when it comes to Newfound Glory. Like clearly, you know, Chad is front and center, writes all the lyrics, does everything else. And so Jordan was really fun to have a conversation because while people talked to him about Newfound Glory, it was just these things that he was talking about, like divorce in his family, like things that he has gone through. And I remember this email I got because Newfound Glory, I mean, they are still arguably a large band, but at that time, this was probably like six or seven years ago, I was going to get a lot of people that either weren't familiar with podcasts or obviously weren't familiar with the type of conversations I was having. So I got a person that wrote me an email and was just like, you keep interrupting him. You like, you're, you're injecting too much of yourself in this. And I was like, well, if a person is talking about something that they went through that I also went through, such as divorce, where it's like, I could tell that he was out there. And for me to just be like, so I'm just going to run over that because I'm really curious about, you know, this random stupid thing or <laughs> like, no, I'm going to engage with that because that could obviously lead to more interesting places. And anyways, the point being is that taking this craft of learning how to interview people, whether it was in person or over email when I was writing zines, um, gave me the base and the level of confidence to be able to ask questions that would not only elicit a response, but then be able to pick up that conversation and carry it on as opposed to just being like, I got a list of 10 things I got to get through. And it's like, oh, I didn't get to these other nine things because that one thing just opened up Pandora's box for us to go in places that I never thought I would go because this person shared this interesting fact. I'm like, I'm way more interested in that than these other dumb questions I thought were interesting. It's really cool that you brought that up because it's something I was like, I wanted to ask, so I was a little hesitant to get to. Your style is quite a bit different than the, the typical podcaster where you know sometimes people are like very directive and they're trying to create a story arc whatever it is right yeah. you're having like real conversations but you have no hesitance to inject yourself into the story and to be like oh i've experienced that too or here's my take on it and it really has the sense of like two friends doing a road trip and just like talking in a car about it and like the back and forth it's funny that you got the email about it critiquing that because it actually takes a lot of I don't view it as like a selfish or self-centered thing. I view it as more of like a giving thing because it's it's tough to do that. If someone's opening up some super vulnerable thing and you're like, oh yeah, me too, by the way, X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So was that a natural thing for you or did you have to work on it? It was pretty natural because I felt, uh, even though there is that, to your point, just that the idea of putting yourself into a person's you know interview or story or whatever, um, you know, it can remove the artifice of the idea of like, this is how an official interview should go. Yeah. It's like every time I, I speak to a person, you know, I do a little preamble at the beginning where it's just like, you know, I like if I bring anything up that you're uncomfortable with, we can move past it. Or alternatively, like if we're if we're speaking about something like I'm going to, you know, offer up like some semblance of being a human. And I think that that's where. I was always uh, very predisposed to do that just because I felt like that was a very easy way. Like I'm an only child, don't have any brothers or sisters, obviously that's what only child means, but just the idea of trying to connect with people, I was always doing that. I was always comfortable in speaking with people, but then there was that 
idea of trying to get past that, you know, superficial leaning of most conversations. And I was like, okay, that's cool, but what's more? Like, where? how do we go after this? And I always recognize that in myself as being like, even if a person doesn't necessarily care that as much about me as I care much about them, I was still willing to just completely glom onto that person within reason. Like I learned over time where it's just like, oh, I can't become obsessed with this person and just like, you know, like completely become their best friend, whether they, they did not sign up for that, like at all. I understand that fact. But um, over time, I was able to calibrate that to where it's like, hey, I will be curious about you and I will make this connection. And therefore, um, it wasn't it was so much a learning process. The learning was the, uh, not barriers, but just like the understanding that not everybody feels as comfortable <laughs> attaching themselves to me as I do to them because I'm, I'm just so, uh, I, I crave that connection with people um, in ways that other people are like, yeah, right, you're, you're a little much. I'm like, I understand that, and I will, I will back off. I think it's one of your strengths. Like, we live in, a, in such an interesting space where, especially in punk and hardcore, which it's like, obviously, I, I love punk and hardcore. Totally. Um, it can be very, uh, it can cause people to wear a mask. Yeah. A lot and to want to present themselves a certain way and to be very rulesy. Like you got to be this way. Or you got to be that way. I've always found you to be like, when I say unconventional, I don't mean like someone's like kooky aunt or something like that. I mean like unconventional in your willingness just to be like genuinely like friendly and open to like, let people really know who you are. It's what stands out to me about you as a person. Cause there's not like these time trials of like, oh, you know, this person's so closed off. It's like you really get to know know you relatively well relatively quickly. But it's really cool in the podcast. I just think like that's part of what people draw draws people into it is like this isn't just going to be a answer or question, answer, question, answer. It's going to be a real conversation. Going back to like the the style development, I'll just say from my own experience, like learn. I didn't have any idea what this podcast was about at first. I did it. I did. Like, I was like, this is a leadership podcast. But then I was like, oh, shit. It's like so much more. And I I feel like I know it so much better now. But it took me about 100 episodes to really get it. And then to conduct interviews the way that I like to, to make the space welcoming, but to be able to challenge people, to get better guests. It was a process. But I am on the shoulders of giants. Like, all of these people have done it ahead of me. So I can learn. You were still, it was still relatively the early days of podcasts when you were doing it. So what was it like to develop a style at that time into what it became? Like, what was your process? Yeah, it really was. I mean, what you're talking about standing on the shoulder of giants, like the a direct influence on me was uh, like Mark Maron, the stand-up comedian who obviously does a very popular podcast. I really... Um, I've always been fascinated by the fact that, I mean, even though, you know, hardcore and punk in you know the year of our lord 2023 is the uh, you know biggest thing since sliced bread like i have never could anticipate where we're at now but right. even from a press perspective i was always frustrated by the fact that it's just like it felt like everybody's little brother whether it was like you know emo indie rock hardcore punk like it always felt off to the side and so i looked at what mark maron was doing in his interviewing style and the way that he was obviously engaging with guests you know high caliber people, you know, that are like world famous or what have you. I was like, I want to do some version of that for punk and hardcore, independent music in general, 
because I felt like no one was having these conversations. So I definitely saw that space and I was like, whether or not I actually achieve that, like, I don't care. I'm going to obviously try it. So developing the style was looking at what interested me and transfixed me to those conversations and taking elements of that where it's like, okay, I want you to learn about this person from a sort of biographical perspective, understanding where they come from, understanding what their childhood is, understanding how they got introduced to this style of music, why they still care about it. Like just all of those kind of, even though they're like some basic pieces of information, it is building a context for that person. Because I think that, you know, in the age of obviously the digital internet that we all live in now, everything is devoid of context. You can look at a video from a person, you can listen to a record from a band or a particular song. You don't have any, any uh, backup for that. And so I felt like it was a really, it was really important for me to build that context around people where it's like, whether or not you like a person's art or a band, I could care less. Like, it doesn't matter to me. It matters to me that you understand where it's like, oh, wow, like that person has a very similar experience to me or has a similar, you know, discovery point for punk or hardcore or whatever, or like they were super into, you know, riding horses or whatever, like all of these weird things that all of us get introduced to as kids and then, you know, maybe carry through into our adult life. It's, it's painting that broad picture of a person that we all are attracted to these, you know, weird subcultures and small rooms and all of these things that we hold so dear. But why is it? And why is it that we carry it forward so often? And the people that do stay involved, that they care about it probably even more deeply than they did when they first discovered it. Because even though there's that satiation, that the idea of collecting all these bands and like finding all this information like you're just drinking from a fire hose and then once you're an adult and you obviously have your tastes you know more calcified than they are you then look back fondly and you're just like oh that really was meaningful and i still am caring about this even though theoretically i should have aged out at a certain point but i think it was important for me to again build that context around people so it is a time capsule of that person at that particular moment but it will really like that one conversation and then maybe listening to the record and then maybe listening to, you know, another interview or whatever will paint a very clear picture of who this person is and why they care. about. So going to like the, the consistency of it. And that's like one of the things. So for people who don't run podcasts, it can seem like it's like, oh, you have a conversation with somebody who put it on, but it's like so much work. And I'm, I'm really fortunate because I, I have a team. I believe you do everything yourself. Correct. Right? Yeah, so yeah. like all the editing, all the booking, all the reach out, all of it, right? Yep. So my business or my podcast is an outcropping of my business. Yep. And it makes logical sense for us to do it. And it's certainly not something that we make money at, but it, it, helps, it helps share stories of like business, leadership, creativity, all those things. And it, it really ties back into the business well. So anytime that we get burnt out on it, we're like, oh, we have a reason to do it. It makes sense. It makes sense for the business. Yep. On your side, you've been in this podcast for 11 years and it's a lot of work. You've got a family, you've got a career. So two questions, handle them in whatever order you want. Why? Why now still? Especially when you're like, hey, maybe like conceptually, I'm supposed to be, I should have already aged out of this thing. Of course. So, so why? Yep. And then also, um, how are you keeping the, the quality up? Because the, the quality is so consistent and is getting better in terms of guests, but also just like the, the willingness to just 
have good conversations in a way that's true to you is always there. So whatever order you want, those two questions. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I think the, I'll tackle the why. The why, I mean, frankly, over time, it has become easier. So this is kind of answering both questions. Um, because the podcast is now a quantifiable commodity, i.e. people know what it is, I can consistently book guests and where people come to me. I don't have to be as proactive leaning on my friend group where it's like, hey, do you want to do this or whatever? Um, I still do that. <laughs> but there is a, a large amount where it's of people that are incoming, whether it's like press or PR being like, oh, hey, we know this would be a great fit. Um, so like, let's do this. So it, it has made it easier. Um, I think the the why to it, it really, because there has been an outcropping of so many other, obviously, music, hardcore related podcasts, and there's different lanes that all these can exist in, whether it's like, you know, Jeremy's podcast, like, I mean, I've known him since he was a teenager, and watching him do what he does, it's very cool and meaningful because he is having conversations. They're more centered around obviously the first experiences. And I pull on a little of those threads in my show, but it's like people can listen to both of those and get something out of it completely different as they would like, you know, listening to the guys in hard lore, where it's like, that's just all about tomfoolery and like them hanging out, talking about fast food or whatever. And even though there is an intersection of the two subject matters that we cover, we could not be different from one another. And so I like to still hold on to what it is that I feel is valuable about the conversations that I'm having and just documenting them and frankly, keeping my head down and just being like, oh yeah, like this is, again, this isn't work for me. This is all fun. And the fact that I can have conversations as diverse as I do, where I can bring people on that may not on the surface have any idea that there's a connectivity between like punk and hardcore and what it is that they do in the real world. Um, the fact that I can pull these people in and be like, hey, you know, Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible, like one of my favorite podcasts um, that, you know, has like won so many awards. Like I noticed that he like would sprinkle in some references to like, you know, punk, whatever. I was like, this dude probably knows what's up. And then reaching out to him and having him like literally on the podcast being like, you know what? Like I haven't said this in like, you know, 15, 20 years, but he's like, I think I'm straight edge. <laughs> I was like, yeah, so like you are like, you don't drink like, yeah. And so, but like no one talks to him about that because people just want to talk to him about architecture and the subject matter of this podcast. And so again, the why, like there's still, because I have left the door open in regards to, I can have conversations with kind of anybody that I find interesting as long as there's that connective tissue there. Because I have, there's been so many times that I've been pitched people where it's like, oh, here's this person that is obviously going to be, you know, a highly trafficked guest or whatever, but I don't feel like there's anything there. I'm not, I'm really, really not going to like, you know, square, square peg, round hole it um, because I have, I haven't actually gone through with any of that because I know if there's ever a voice in my head that says that where it's like, that's probably not going to be good. I'm like, okay, I got to listen to that. Even though it'd be like, oh dude, this could get the most social media shares or likes or whatever. I'm like, I can't, I can't let that cloud my vision of the fact that I'm like, really might be pulling at strings and like 20 minutes into a conversation, I want to pull the ripcord because I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> this is terrible. I got to get out of here. And I don't never want to be in that position. And so uh, being able to listen to that voice in my head and understand the why of what I'm doing is really meaningful for me to still continue to keep doing it. Because like to your point, like I don't need to anymore. It's like, 
yeah, being able to still do this and, you know, some 500 episodes later and still find interesting people to talk to and get like as a random example, it's like uh, Eugene Robinson. He sings for this band called Oxbow, like, you know, very big in the Hydrahead Records world of the 2000s or whatever. It's like I'm going to have a conversation with him, you know, tomorrow. And it's like this is a dude who's like, I mean, he's lived a life like, you know, he's written a book on like fighting people in the streets or whatever. <laughs> it's just like. This is a guy where I would never interact with him besides maybe watching his band, which I have in the past, but he has a DIY background and then, but he's also worked in media for the past 10 or 15 years. And so being able to have these conversations with people like that, it's like, I love to have those. And like, until I feel like I've literally run at the end of my rope of like, oh man, I feel like I don't have anybody to talk to. Or it's like, if I, I, I have said this to myself where if I literally am like week to week, I'm like scrambling for a guest that, that that never need to be in that spot. I'm literally usually always like a month to two months ahead of interviews to be able to publish to where I feel completely confident and like able to manage all the workload plus everything else that I do in my life. So, so one of the things that with punk, you know, like when we're saying things from the stage, it's like get involved, like start a zine. Uh, start a zine, start a band, um, you put on a show, start a record label, like design teacher, whatever it is. It's like get involved. And one of the things I often tell people um, professionally when they're thinking about building their careers, I'm like, hey, play to your strengths. What are your strengths? And it seems like, well, yeah, obviously, but like, no, like really play to your strengths. Like, what do you like doing that you know that you're good at? So if I think back, you know, punk scene, it's like, well, what are people good at? I'm very comfortable speaking with people. I'm very comfortable kind of like being out in front of people. Okay, playing in the band makes sense for me. Other people, they're really comfortable with doing interviews and writing and, and uh, art and putting this together. They do a zine or they're part of doing a zine. Some people like organizing, putting on events, and everyone kind of finds their thing. For you, you've done all of those things, some version of, of all of those things. The podcast has come over time to be the thing that you're known for. And the other things, you've been done really, really cool things, but this is the one that's been longstanding that like, it's like El Ray, his podcast. In yeah. fact, without giving anything away, our last guest, as when you came in here to do your podcast, pitched you a guest where I was like, damn, that's a cool guest. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. I was super psyched and already putting myself like, whoa, I can't wait to listen oh, to that yeah. one. That will be what a meeting of two worlds, right? Totally. But this is the one you're known for. So going back to that idea of like allowing people to tell their story, like you are the medium to help someone tell their story. Why was that the draw for you when you first started interviewing bands back in your earliest days? Why that? I, you, you said a word that really pulled you know, something in my head, which is like, get involved. I felt, I always felt, especially because like, you know, the band that I played in, I was the default business guy as the lead vocalist that just happens to fall on your, your uh, plate some of those times. And so like book shows, and I recognized that I was always drawn to the business side of things and interacting with people and understanding how to pull this together. I wanted to do that. I wanted to put on shows like locally as well. So it's like I basically just kept adding to my plate as long as it felt like there was some connective tissue I could pull together where it's like, okay, me booking local shows could potentially help my band, could potentially, you know, be able to meet other bands where I could obviously trade shows. And so I felt that snowball effect, like as long as there was that, uh, that like I said, connective tissue being able to pull together. And so the interviewing and writing for zines, it just, to me, it felt like the most logical extension where I was like, cause I was doing that while I was also playing in bands and reviewing music. And like, I, I just, 
was always enamored by getting more deeply connected to this music scene. And so I always felt the need to do as much as I possibly could. It's not even so much from a fact of like, oh, my legacy or like the fact that there's more visibility on me as a person. I just like, I could never say no to an interesting opportunity or pursue an interesting opportunity. Um, and so a lot of the things that I've been able to participate in have really not because been because someone's tapped me on the shoulder be like, hey, Ray, like, would you, it's usually been me kind of like putting my foot in the door and being like, hey, have you thought about that? Have you thought about doing something like that? And people will be like, oh, actually, no, that's a, that's a good idea. Like, do you want to be involved in some capacity? I'm like, yeah, that's kind of why I brought it up. So here's this idea I had. And so I think that that was really, the podcast was just kind of like a logical stepping stone in regards to the fact that like the technology exists, the format exists. And that, that once I became enamored with the idea of podcasts, I was like, oh, I got to do something in relation to this with our, the music scene, broadly speaking, because there's just, there's no representation at that particular point. Like no one was doing that sort of critical, you know, conversation, like anything in relation to punk or hardcore. So I was like, oh, here's a space that I think I can fill. And whether or not this is something long lasting or just fleeting, I don't care. I'm just going to, again, put my foot in the door and be like, oh, I'll just try this out and then see how it goes. Yeah. And there really was no one doing it. Like, you know, it's like before it's like, oh, like here's an interview with a band. How's your record? Or here's your review. But yeah. this is totally different. I want to push further on that, though. Um, doing a podcast is one thing because you're in the conversation. It's like, oh, that's Ray. Like when I read a review for a record, I'm not like, oh, who reviewed this? Like, and I want to know about them. Or if someone does an interview, like a written interview, I'm not like, wow, I'm really interested in knowing about that person. Do, writing a review mm -hmm. is hard work. Yeah. And you're really trying to like give a fair review of something like a fair shake. It's taking someone's creative output for a year or two and not just the music, it's the recording, it's the art, everything, and, and like giving yourself to it. Yeah. And then doing an interview is like hard and you have to write it down and do all this stuff. So why that? It's like, I don't want to say totally thankless, but you're like relatively anonymous yeah. when you're doing that, but you're telling someone else's story and critiquing someone else's art. Why were you compelled to put yourself in that position? Was it because you felt you were good at it or it was just like, I just, that's just what I'm going to do. I, I did. I honestly, I felt a compulsion partially because I do from like a schooling perspective. I always, it was relatively easy for me to put pen to paper as far as writing anything at school. And I knew that once I became like, his, I mean, to not push back or contradict what you're saying, but it's like, I became obsessed with where it's like, oh, like who's behind antimatter? It's like, oh, it's Norm Arenas. Or yes. it's like, oh, Rump Shaker fanzine. Where it's like, oh yeah, Eric Rump Shaker. Like I got to know these zine publishers or whatever. And I use very big air quotes, publishers, yeah. you know? So I really, I wanted to create relationships with these people. And then by default, they saw how, interested and passionate I was about, you know, writing hardcore punk, whatever. And so I, they were just like, oh yeah. I mean, it would be as simple as sending me these CDs where I was just like, I'm getting free music on top of like, this is cool. And you're paying me 20 bucks or whatever. It's like, this is great. So the, the I, I really never asked myself why it was just the, once I became friends with these people, because I was just punishing them about loving their thing. 
they were they saw that oh I could you know potentially you know capitalize on this love and <laughs> be able to get some get some free stuff out of this. Uh, not joking aside, I just felt so compelled to be involved because I also liked just the organizational aspect of like putting together year end lists, like all of these things that really scratched an itch as far as like the only childness of me being like, oh man, I gotta you know like collect all these football cards or basketball cards or whatever. It's like just that element of like collecting these things and organizing. And again, the context, like, of course, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that when I was nine years old or whatever. Um, but all of that was important to me. And so regardless, again, of whether or not I was getting, you know, the highlight of being like, oh, this is a Ray Harkins piece. So of course, this is going to be great. I'm like, I didn't care. But as long as a person read it and obviously felt some connective tissue being pulled there, they would be like, oh, that was that was like a good zine. Like that was a good interview. That's that's all I could really ask for. I didn't feel you were pushing back at all. I love what you just said. And so I'm going to put an and on there. It's Please. like, let's think of Dan, second, second nature fanzine. Yes. Right. Like unbelievable fanzine. Unbelievable. Let, let's think of Norm. Right. Antimatter. Unbelievable fanzine. Let's think of Eric. Rump shaker. Unbelievable fanzine. These are like iconic fanzines. Yep. And for every one of those. There's like a hundred that you've never heard of that people put equal, if not more work into blood, sweat, and tears. And like zine culture, interview culture, review culture. It's like, it's such a interesting thing. Cause it's like all of this effort, where is it going? It's going to end up in some, like, you know, some zine library somewhere and some stack in someone's thing, or like maybe in the garbage. And there's all these voices that are like burning so bright that then kind of disappear. Right. And zines and interviews and reviews, I just, it's such a, like the first time I, I realized zines weren't forever. You know, I was like, I, I got a, when I was young, got like an issue of Triple X. Oh, and sure. I was like, oh, and shout out to Gitter. Love you, dude. You're yeah. awesome. But like, I got it. I was like, oh, I wonder when the next issue. And the person, I was like an older person was like, it doesn't exist anymore. I'm like, oh, what? Right, what? <laughs> like, this is like Time Magazine. Like, totally. you know, thought this is a thing. And you get into it and you're like, oh, like zines are so finite mm -hmm. and people are doing these interviews and I have no idea who these are. People in these reviews, it's like, it's such a special thing, especially that medium of talking about someone else's art and critiquing it yep. and drawing attention to it for both, for either a good result or a poor result, but then also interviewing people. I just find it fascinating. I never had that bug to do it. Like I did a little bit of reviews for mm -hmm. people and I slightly tried my hand at interviewing but frankly, it was too much work. Yeah. Like it was just way too much work. And that's why I'm always so fascinated with people who, before podcasting, were so willing to be in that space. Because it's like a ton of work. And also, people can shit on you. Like, they can be upset with how you did an interview or if you gave them a bad review. It can totally. have consequences. Absolutely. And so, like, when you name those people, it's like, yeah. But then, like, think of the, like, 5,000 other people who we have no idea who they are. And in, in, in the, the connective tissue that I feel with that too, like this, it's so random, but there's this, uh, so there's a zine done in the Eastern, Eastern, uh, on greater Ontario area of Canada on the banks of the Tumid river. And this is just goes to how stupid our brains are, where you can remember these things. Honestly, you put out maybe two or three issues. Um, I'm almost positive. This dude is not involved with like, what's it called? So the, the name of the zine is On the Banks of the Tumid River. Oh, that's the actual that's name. That's the okay. literal name. Okay. Yeah. So he put out, uh, yeah, probably like two or three issues. But the, the thing that I felt so connected with, with that zine and many others, to your point, that just, you know, completely left aside, 
they were injecting some of their personality into it. So whether it was like, you know, just like personal writing and like some of it could obviously be completely cringeworthy where you're just like, you know, oh, like this is obviously, you know, a live journal that should have obviously been kept, you know, locked up. So I, I felt like that was also a really interesting component that, you know, was able to influence me, whether I could, you know, describe that as an influence or not. And like Chris Callahan as another example. He, I always was like, ups anything he wrote for any zine ever, or obviously any of his bands, I was just like hanging on every single word. I'm like, I am diametrically opposed to many of your beliefs, but I love every word you're saying. And like bringing that part of your person, I mean, Chris was an example of like, he's completely, he's bringing his whole person in here. The other zine that I'm talking about was like, you know, snippets of that. But I just felt like, again, getting to know these people, whatever medium they were using to express themselves, not only helped me connect further, but then I was like, okay, there's something that I can do, whether a person finds, I, I love when people, you know, find out about me via my podcast and are just like, oh, I didn't know you sang in a band or like, oh, you sang in the band. Like, I didn't even know that you're doing a podcast or whatever. And like all those connection points when you're putting yourself out there is really important because I think that whether you're known as a front person for a band or whether you're known as a professional business human being, like, all of these things you're putting out there, you never know how they're going to return and potentially obviously influence others. Not like that's like a core tenet of what it is that we're doing. That's just an added benefit of us putting ourselves out there in so many different capacities. All right. So I know you've done a lot of stuff professionally. Yeah. I want to talk, talk into working in the industry you're in now because it makes such a, a clear through line. Please. Um, so tell us about your job and like, what is your job and essentially what do you do? So essentially for the past 10 years, I've been working in the podcast industry, even though when I started in that 10 years ago, it really wasn't an industry. It was, I compare it to, you know, whatever web 2.0, like growth industry where people knew something was there, like the money was happening and advertising was happening, but they, it wasn't really formalized. So I basically have been working at different podcast networks. Um, most of them relatively either large companies, whether it was like an iHeartRadio um, or whether it was the first company I worked for, which was a company called Midroll and Stitcher, which was essentially one of the first more formalized networks where it was the idea of collecting, you know, 100, 200 podcasts all under one banner. Clients, advertising agencies can reach out and obviously advertise on this podcast. So I've been doing sales, um, you know, a lot of different labels and roles, but essentially a lot of it is that communication with agencies, clients, trying to either one, articulate the value of advertising on podcasts, or two, being able to be like, okay, once we've gotten over the hump of one, knowing that you need to advertise on podcasts, like this is a medium just as important as radio or television or anything else, that now it's a matter of being able to figure out how much we need to spend, like what the media plans would look like, all that sort of stuff. So that's like in real simple terms, like the, you know, kind of two-step process, but I've been doing some version of that for the past 10 years. So your podcast came first. Correct. How did you enter into the professional side of it? I entered in the professional side because, so at the time I was working at PETA, the animal rights organization, and that's where I started the podcast. I, a friend of mine who I just knew via Twitter, he was, uh, he was doing his own version of a podcast network. And he had, was, this was very early days. So it was basically the only podcast that had any sort of like audience were 
tech podcasts and comedy podcasts. And so he had those areas, you know, well covered. He was looking for music podcasts. And so he was like, oh, Ray, like, let's bring him in here. So, you know, he was like, hey, I can like sell ads in your podcast. I was like, well, good luck. Like, that's funny. And uh, lo and behold, then he was like, oh, here, I got an ad for Audible or Squarespace. And I was like, that's wild, but cool. I'll do this. He then, because he was a pretty early adopter in regards to this, he got hired by this company that I ended up working for, Midroll. Um, and so he got hired by that. He was able to take all of his podcasts that he had. It was only about 15 folded into this network. So I then like was completely ecstatic. I was like, oh, wow, I get to like graduate to this, you know, real premium podcast network where like I could get included on ad buys for, you know, huge clients or whatever. That's cool. Once I started to get to know employees there because I started to interface with them because they were like, oh, here's a new show to our network. Here's this guy, Ray, he hosts this podcast. Here's the audience, like articulating all the value of why clients should advertise on my podcast. Once I started to know people there, I was just as passionate about, you know, whatever nerdy podcasts that existed out there as I was for, you know, whatever late 90s metalcore. Like you can name irrelevant bands from that era. I'll be like, dude, let's go. Like, I'll, I'll talk about that in the same way that I know you can articulate that as well. So because they saw I was a nerd for this, they were like, have you ever thought about like working here, like doing sales? I was like, I've never done sales. Like, that sounds weird, but I mean, I guess I can try it like because I'm talking about something I'm passionate about. If you told me tomorrow or it's like, hey, Ray, you're going to sell knives. I'd be like, no, 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 I cannot. I can't do that because I don't care about knives. Most of the salespeople that entered the podcast industry came from like the radio background or like digital ad sales. And so I was really this weirdo outlier of a person who stepped into the podcast industry from a sales perspective, had no previous experience with any of the other more, you know, quote unquote, modern, um, you know, mediums that people sold advertising into. So I came at it with a pretty fresh perspective and just like, hey, I'm a podcast nerd, so I can talk to you, client, until your you know, face turns blue about why podcasts are cool. And uh, so that's how I entered the industry and then was kind of, you know, baptized by fire and understanding, like, I will never forget just because like, I mean, advertising is such a black box where most people are like, oh, yeah, I know I'm advertised to. But it's like when you look behind the scenes and understand how all this works, I'm just like, there's so much money in advertising. It's just like it's it, I was dealing with monopoly money where when I say that, because it was like these are numbers where it's like. Okay, so we're going to be doing an ad for like, you know, 60 second ad for like $15,000. And I was like, and you're, you're, you're not going to go out of business when I invoice you for this? <laughs> I was like, my experience with Bunker Hardcore is like, the moment you would talk about $15,000, it'd be like, whew, that's going to be like on the net, net 180. Like, I won't be able to pay that for a year and a half, bare minimum. And so uh, it was a, that was the biggest adjustment for me where I was like, oh, this is real world money as opposed to what I had experienced in the past, whether it was working at record labels or at PETA, which is a nonprofit world, um, that was the biggest transition for me. So when you started working in that space, and especially because you, you came from like an outsider perspective, like a, um, you were an end user yes. of, of podcasts, both as a listener, but also as someone who made it, uh, you had a different perspective than people who deal with like, let's say traditional media, media sources. Um, you have that fresh take. Did that make you a welcome addition to a sales team or were people like, get the hell out of here. You don't know what you're talking about there. It was probably, I would say if I'm 
breaking it down percentage wise, I would say 70% a breath and 30% being like, you're an idiot. Like you don't know what you're doing. But I think my earnestness and honestly, like my personality where it's like, because most salespeople, generically speaking, it's like, you know, the used car salesman, like a person who's all of those cliches, which are completely true for most salespeople. Cause they're like, they definitely, or it's like, oh, you know, you do, you're a good salesperson. Have you ever thought about selling, you know, medical devices? And it's like, how much does it pay? What's my commission? And it, that was obviously not the space that I was coming from. So once most of the other people I was working with saw that I wasn't a proverbial threat where I was just like, I just like podcasts and like this very Pollyanna-ish view, that 30%, you know, immediately dropped. And it, it was that idea where it's like, oh, like this guy's coming at it for the right reasons, even though like I would never do that because I'm a salesperson and I'm gonna crush my goal and get bonuses and whatever else that people do. Um, it was something that uh, it endeared me to them because it, well, I was kind of this oddball that existed outside of the normal trajectory that most people go through where it's like, all right, I graduated college and like, I'm gonna hit the pavement doing sales and cold calls or whatever. And it's like, I just, I never experienced that. And I was walked in given like a client list and agencies to talk to and got to know those people like as real humans, like it, it's so funny. And I know that you can identify with this when you start to have interactions with people in a real way and don't just view them as like, you know, simple transactions. They're like, oh, like you're you're nice, or like you're. I'm like, well, yeah, it's because like I think if I, you do something for me and I make you look cool, like don't we both win? Totally. <laughs> and so many people view this as like a very you know uh, a black and white scenario where it's just like, oh, I'll, I'll crush you in order to like you know get the thing that I need or whatever. And it's like you probably can both meet in the middle and still win. And I I really once I started to have those conversations with people that were just average civilians, you know, it, it, it really opened my eyes to obviously how I can communicate with people, broadly speaking, not only on, like on my podcast, but like all of these, like all of the different threads I could pull that could give me an advantage of just being different than other people that were talking to them. It was so, um, it, it was a, a real, eye-opener for me and understanding how to, you know, be successful in sales. Do you mind if I share something from my career? Please. I uh, was a therapist for a decade, addiction and mental health. And I never got burnt out at all in the work. I love the work, but I got burnt out on the leadership. And it's not to say someone was a good person or a bad person. It's just not-for-profits don't always have strong leadership. And I just happened to have three kind of doozy leaders in a row where I was like, whew. That's a lot. You know, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm ready for my next thing. And I went into executive coaching. And I was in a company for a long time, about five years that I just, looking back, if I knew what I knew now, it would be a two-year gig. I'd come in, I'd learn everything I needed to know. I'd get all the data, I'd get everything I needed. And then boom, I'd go launch a company. But instead, you know, I'm a punk, right? So I'm like, hey, like, how do we make this better? How do we work together? And also I'm a punk. So I'm like obnoxious about it. And like, oh, you know, course, like right. smart, like acting like I'm the smartest person in the room or I'm like the, I'm like the moral, I've got the moral high ground on everyone. Of course. So it's like about five and a half years, you know, they're sick of me. I'm sick of them. Right. We part ways. I start my own company and day one, when I like day one, I start the company. I, I call a bunch of people instantly got clients because they knew me for my work, not for the company I'd been, they knew me for the work that I do. But when they started drawing me into bigger organizations, the people kept saying to me, 
well, you're not like, you're not like a normal coach. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, you're like a therapist almost. I'm like, well, I am a therapist. Yeah. And hence my background. Right. When people are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. And I was like, we're not here doing therapy. Like we're not doing like traditional therapy, but we're doing a lot of psychology of leadership. And you need someone who can, who's very comfortable having difficult conversations and being in that space has a lot of knowledge, but doesn't phrase it in complex ways, you know, so that you feel that you're just having a business conversation, but they can utilize that background. And they're like, well, how come there aren't more therapists doing this? I'm like, well, I'm also a punk. So like, I'm not afraid to take a leap and do something. And the reason that Cadence was successful right off the bat was because I was an end user. Like I had been a therapist, but I'd also been in therapy. I grew up in a scene that was all about being vulnerable and being honest and doing things kind of like do it yourself, but also they are businesses. I basically had all the training I needed to do to have cadence just by living life and having a professional career. And one of the things that I, I really hope that people get out of this is like, whatever your career is now, whatever you do, it's got an application to whatever you do next, even if it is dynamically different, like yeah. so much different. And it's like all of who you are matters to the next thing. And when you say that sales, like, oh, like we're thinking about sales, like, oh, sales? Totally. When I had to do sales for the company that I worked at beforehand that I did not believe in, I was like, sales, but I believed in helping people so I could do it. But when I got into doing sales at Cadence, which I do now, it's like, oh, this is so that I can pay everyone a living wage, not just a living wage, a wage where they can like support themselves and their families and own homes or do like live life, go on vacations. It's so that we have bigger reach. It's so that I can support my family and we can have a a good... uh, a good quality of life. It's so that we can do something meaningful in the world. And sales wasn't sales. Like at the company I was at before, it was like, I'm making this guy that I think is a jerk rich. And I do believe in what I do, but I don't, I don't believe in the mission of this company. But then for my company, it was like, I believe in this. It's an extension of my thinking. I think we're, I think we've got something that's valuable. I love my family. I love my friends. I want to help everyone. I want to do something cool. And now sales aren't like sales. Sales are like, Oh, of course we do that because that's how we help. That's how we do things. How I help you. That's how you help me. That's how we help each other. And like these ideas that sound cringy or, or these, these roles that sound cringy, if you just earn the working in the right place at the right time, they open up a whole different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it, it really, it goes to the core of not only who you are as a person, but then just the idea of attaching yourself to something that you find valuable. And that's where people will can find success in whatever it is that they're applying themselves to and bring And you know, I know that this statement has been uttered towards you many times where it's like, bring your whole self to work. And just that idea where it's just like, yeah, like that's not always true because you shouldn't bring certain things to work from a professional perspective. But like when you are bringing your as much of yourself as it makes logical sense to do, that's beautiful because then people are knowing that you're an actual human being. You're not just a dumb email address asking them for something. You're just like, no, if I'm, t- I'm like, we can probably be successful doing this thing together. I'm not just trying to pitch you something for pitching you something's sake, even though there's an element of that. But like, yeah, you really, you really learn about the best ways to not only approach people to obviously get you to the end result that, you know, makes you successful, but then in turn, not be a terrible person back to them where it's just like, oh yeah, like, you know, just again, transactional, like I can't, I I just, I really, I prickle at that. Like the moment I see people doing that towards me, I'm just like, okay, like this isn't going to (laughs) work. Like we're not going to be here. 
around bringing your whole self to work. I'm going to quote the uh, the always the always amazing Andy Norton. Fucking ooh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's awful. It's so awful. Like, I am a believer in like bringing your whole self, like being who you are. Exactly. But being the being the heightened version. So it's like what I say, like the high self and the low self. Yep. So when I go to a wedding, like I don't show up in pajamas. Of course. Or sweatpants. I prefer to wear pajamas. Well, not pajamas. I prefer to wear like sweatpants or shorts or be comfortable. Yep. But if I'm going to someone's wedding and they're having like a nice wedding. I know I'm going to wear a suit. Right. And when I'm in a suit, I feel good. You yeah. know, I'm like, ah, oh, this feels good. It's nice. Go to the wedding, you have fun, you take off your jacket, you have a good time. Right. Yeah. But that, like, if you were to say to me, Aram, do you want to wear a suit when you're sitting at home with your wife watching TV? I'd be like, no, that's no, crazy. That's awful. It's also crazy to me to go to a, a wedding, not like not wearing the appropriate uh, uh, attire. The idea is, is like the high self versus the low self. It's like being the high self is meeting the needs of the situation appropriately and it's still me in the suit going to the wedding it's all of me but i am showing the version of myself or putting together the version of myself that's appropriate for that moment and moving with the flow of the conversation and the flow of the night to not do that i think is an ultra selfish narcissistic thing of just being like this is exactly who i am and I bringing my whole self to work is the most important thing. So everyone else needs to put up with it. It's yeah. like, that actually sounds like moderately abusive. I feel that's like, bring your best self to work and move with the flow. If someone else is doing something objectionable, state your need, hold your boundaries, do those things, but also make space for others to do that with you. So bring your whole self to work, but to go again to Andy Norton, fucking you, man. Like, totally. Read, read the room. Yeah, don't be gross. Like, just don't, bring all, don't bring all that other stuff. Totally. Don't be a bull in a china shop. Yeah. Like, yeah, definitely understand what you need to bring to the table in order to obviously be a respectable human being in whatever situation you're walking into. Totally. All right. So you get that first job. You, you kind of like, it just morphs into this thing. Yep. What's next? So in understanding, like, the value that I was bringing, like, cause I, the, I hit the ground running in regards to, you know, getting ad sales. And like we were the, that network that I worked for initially was, you know, kind of the only shop in town. And so as far as like big clients were concerned, like the ones who could be like, Oh, I just need to work with one person as opposed to trying to talk to 200 individual podcasts. Like I don't have time for that. So, uh, I understood like, as I started to kind of move throughout that, that company, mostly a sales role, but then I shifted into kind of a sales marketing role where, cause I saw that I was going to be, I could be helpful to other salespeople and not just like, you know, in the biz that they call it my own book of business. And so that was a role that I technically created myself where I approached my boss and I was like, listen, all of these salespeople that I'm working with, that I've developed relationships with internally, they come to me for like, hey, Ray, like, you know, how is this show performed for advertisers? Or like, they would just lean on me because I, again, podcast nerd being able to be like, I'm not just like selling our most, you know, 10 most popular shows. Like I dug deep in the catalog being like, oh yeah, here's these shows that are smaller, but they still have a very valuable audience. And so because of that, a lot of people are leaning on me. So. I went to my boss with this idea and she was totally on board with it and was like, okay, cool. We can transition you to this. So I did that for about two years and I really enjoyed that because it was, it was less like clients 
focused, agency focused, and it was helping. I mean, I still was dipping into that, but then there was a lot of conversations that I was having internally, developing, you know, curriculums, like doing presentations, like for lack of a better term, like thought leadership internally. And because of that, it developed another side of myself where I was like, oh, the helping people and like making connections, like I know that that's part of who I am. But then also being able to put a business layer on top of it, I was like, oh, this is cool where I am able to scratch both itches of things that I am interested in. The company that I was working for was about 120 to 150 people. Um, but then I got pursued by iHeartRadio to come work for them. And that was a you know, huge monolith. Like we're talking thousands and thousands of employees. Uh, so I had to make that decision whether or not I wanted to go to something larger or keep it at something that was, I mean, that company had since been acquired by a larger uh, media company that was mostly focused on television. So this was kind of just like their, oh, we know podcast advertising is gonna be a big thing. TV is tough these days, so like we need to diversify our portfolio. But then I ultimately made the decision to go to iHeartRadio and I worked there for about, yeah, it was probably about five or six years. And so I, I loved it. I really enjoyed the experience of working with so many different people from so many different backgrounds and um, being able to understand again, like kind of bringing that helpful nature. Like I, the moment that you try to approach a person being like, how can I help you? And not just like serving them that line where it's just like, well, how can I help you? Cause like when people come in authentically with that line, you can, I mean, anybody with any sort of emotional intelligence, intelligence can read right through that where it's like, what are you trying to sell me? <laughs> like, what, what, what are you really doing here? And so once I developed, and I'm sure you have spoken to clients like this and other people who are navigating corporate waters, when you have proven yourself in some capacity where your record internally speaks, where it's like, oh, this person says something and then they actually do it, it is absolutely insane to how much that differentiates you from other people. There are so many people, like they can't even respond to a simple email. And just that idea of being like, oh yeah, I'll email you on Wednesday. And then on Wednesday morning, you get an email from me. People are like, dude, Ray, you're so helpful. I'm like, I, I feel like I'm really operating at like a basic level of how we all should interact with each other. But there are so many people that don't do that and not because they either don't care or they're horrible human beings, but they just either have poor time management skills, whatever. There's a lot of professional things that can add into that. Um, or they hate email. Like I'm sure you've encountered many people who are just like, oh man, my inbox is a nightmare. It's like everybody's in. But it's a matter of figuring out, knocking this out, handling this, like just prioritizing. And so I really, that, that developed, working at a company that big, really developed my skills and understanding what was manageable, what was like, oh, I can't, like, I can't go over there. I can't open that door to be helpful to those people because I realize that I am going to then sacrifice any effectiveness that I have on this side of my work. Um, and so it was really eye-opening for me to work at a company that large. Yeah. And what was your role there? Was it the same as before? It was technically, it was, and this is such a cringeworthy term, but it was subject matter expert. So what I was enlisted to do, it was technically still sales. But uh, so iHeart, as you can imagine, has a lot of different properties to quote unquote sell. You got radio, you got events, you got podcasts, you got digital advertising, you got social, whatever you want, like iHeart can do with the exception of like video. 
And so these salespeople that work across the country, some have huge clients, some have like, you know, Bob's Auto Repair Shop in like Jacksonville, Florida or whatever. All these salespeople could technically sell podcasts, but so many of them barely have an understanding of what podcasts are as a, you know, like how to download a podcast. And so for them to effectively speak to a client to be like, hey, you should buy podcasts and then say you a Ram or like, okay, that sounds interesting. The salesperson then is me like, Hey, help! I don't know what to, I don't know what to do here. So that's where myself or a few, there was about five or six people on our team, and so we would get brought in for these conversations, whether it was a client-facing conversation, agency, or whether it was like behind the scenes with the salesperson to be like, "Hey, I'm coaching you. To, here's the things you can say. Here's a presentation you can do. Like, if you have any questions, let me know." So we kind of were. I like to describe it like a Swiss Army knife for whatever needs of that particular salesperson. Um, what differentiated me from a lot of the other salespeople is that like I was, you know, what they said internally where it's like I was client friendly, where I was like, oh, we can put Ray in front of people and like he's not gonna bum anybody out. He's not gonna be like, oh my gosh, like this guy's terrible to deal with. We're never gonna work with iHeart again. So because of that, I was able to be tagged into a lot of different situations with sellers for whatever it is that they needed, but it still was a lot of the talking to clients, you know, getting to know their needs, their KPIs, everything they need from a marketing plan, and then be, being able to distill it down to understanding what the most effective path forward was in regards to podcasting. And there were some times where it was like, I was just honest where I'm like, yeah, podcasting isn't a fit here. Like, I'm sorry, salesperson. Like, I know you're going to hate to hear that, but like, this is better served, you know, in radio or whatever. And so that again, like, and there would be sometimes where I would like literally have those conversations with the direct client where it's like, yeah, so I don't think like this is the best fit. So like maybe if you think about like maybe podcasting could be a part of it, but you should probably look more at like this, you know, tactic within the, the toolbox of things that iHeart can do. So um, that was really the core of what it was that we did. But, it, you know, it changed, as you can imagine, on a daily basis based on the needs of the individual who was doing the selling. Um, so after iHeart, you've got your latest job. Why the change? So for some people working at iHeart Radio would be like, that's the goal. That's the pinnacle. Yeah. There, well, twofold. One, it tails oldest time where a new boss comes into play, um, you know, throws a meeting on the calendar. I had known this person previously. So it was like, we had a pre-existing relationship, uh, you know, had been there for a couple months. So there wasn't any like real signs of any, you know, corporate turmoil internally. So got a random, you know, e or random meeting request. And it's like, oh, why are we syncing like Tuesday at 1030? Like, this seems weird, but whatever. So then uh, that morning, it was I had some of my coworkers who were on the East Coast were texting me being like, I just got let go. I just got let go. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have a meeting in an hour. Am I going to get let go? I was like, there really wasn't any writing on the wall in regards to, you know, oh my gosh, like our sales are way off. Like there wasn't any real reason. So then I get on the, you know, Zoom call and kind of go through it. And I was, I approached it very much like, I know what's coming. Like, tell me what the vibe is here. Like what's happening? So they were like, we want you to stay, but this is the wrinkle. So we're going to take you, uh, we're going to move you to a different department that you're technically working on podcasts, but you are going to be serving uh, what they call like basically the local salespeople. So these are people that have clients that are obviously, as you can imagine, local, where they're not looking to do a national advertising campaign. And so I was like, oh, that feels weird. 
And then on top of it, they were like, yes, we're going to pay you like $30,000 less. And I was like, that feels terrible. (laughs) So this was all dropped on me on a Tuesday. And so kind of like sat there for a moment. I was like, this, I was like, even though I feel okay that I have a job still, as opposed to my friends who, you know, had been at the company for, you know, maybe about a year or two longer than I had. So I went through that. I was like, okay, well, I... I'm not going to leave because I want a job, but I need to see like what this kind of morphs into. So after I started to understand what I, my new job was going to be and it, what would made it even more ironic, like it was one of those things where this supervisor that was making all these dramatic changes was really not communicating it internally to a lot of other departments that we were working with. And so I was having to talk to these people to be like, Hey, so you and I that were doing all this good work together, I technically can't help you anymore. And they were like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, this happened. And so I was telling people that I was getting reassigned and all those other people that you like working with, they actually got fired. And I was like, this feels so weird and awful that I'm doing all this messaging. And there was no like, you know, large email sent out around. It was just all of these things that just felt so wrong, like as far as a process was concerned. And so anyways, with all of that, to be said, I've, I stuck around for a couple months and uh, it was even funnier what I was saying before I went off on that tangent where it was like, I was given an award internally where it was like, you are the producer of the year. Where it was like, oh, like you are, you know, absolutely pivotal and crucial to all of these teams. And it was like, that was after I had been given this, this shift and this like, for lack of a better term, like demotion just from a pay grade perspective. So I was like, this feels so, it's like, am I living in bizarro world where it's like, I'm being recognized internally for a valuable, you know, producer at a, at a, uh, you know, company. And then I get shifted to this whole other side of the business. So I was like, this is so weird. So stuck around for a couple months. And then ultimately I was like, I, I can't stay here because this feels, even though 99% of my experience there was great. It was that 1% where it really like this, this doesn't feel right. And then of course, once you put in your two weeks, you get the whole call from all of the people above you. They're just like, well, what, what, like, I know this was handled kind of weird, but like, what, you know, what can we do to make you stay? And I'm like, if we had this conversation like two or three months ago, it probably would have felt different. I was like, but this is kind of, you know, too little, too late. Um, because at that time, you know, I was getting tapped on the shoulder from other people because I had started to share in my close circle of professional friends in the podcast industry. I was like, hey, this feels weird that I went through this. Like, am I, am I feeling all right about this? Like, am I right in feeling this way? And they were like, oh my gosh, yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that, that, yeah, you're right. Like, maybe I'm not off base in the way that I was feeling. Um, and so ultimately arrived at that conclusion where I was like, I can probably find something out in the, for lack of a better term, like the general market that would be interesting for me to pursue. And ultimately send a signal to iHeart internally where it was like, hey, like maybe Ray shouldn't have been treated this way. And it's like, well, now like, you know, I, I, I still love all of you. I still have a relationship with most of you besides the one person making <laughs> that decision. Um, but that was something that I had to do for myself. And everybody ultimately understood where it's like, yep, we moved too fast. We we're making too many changes too quickly. We should have handled this differently. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, someone did articulate that to me. So I felt good about it and I have a relationship with them. They weren't the one making those decisions, but they were the one that was making all of the decisions for that particular side of the company. Um, but yeah, but that was uh, you know some corp- some corporate 
uh, intrigue on the uh, internal side of things that made me pursue other opportunities. Let's talk about the podcast industry. Please. Because it's become an industry. It has. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, suddenly it felt like everyone I knew had a podcast, myself included. Of course. It wasn't like I was some like front runner. I, I started a podcast yeah. when everyone started a podcast. You saw the value in it. You know, it wasn't even the value in it. Uh, I'll, I'll just put it this way. Um, the end game for, for me, not for Cadence, but for me is to write books and to write books on leadership and to be a speaker on a national level. And while I have, as a speaker, I do have a lot of that on a, on a national level. It's once you have a book or multiple books, it's just a whole different game. Yep. And part of that is demonstrating thought leadership through a podcast. And so it was never like, I want to start a podcast because I think this would be fun and interesting. It was, okay, um, work on a book. Uh, when it comes down to a, public, to a publisher, I have to demonstrate that like literally two people at least care what I think. You got the chops, right? Yep, yep. And, and of course, there's always your client base, but it's like, hey, here are all of our clients. But that doesn't mean people are going to buy your book. So we started the podcast and I was like, oof, oof, this is so hard. This is horrible. Like yeah, this is a lot. seven people listened to that and that took us hours. Like that was horrible. But over time, I, I've done it in a space where I've always been strong is just being able to speak with people. So I was like, oh, actually this is, this maybe is the end game. Like I love doing this. This is cool. Um, but the further I get into it and, you know, our podcast is, our podcast is progressing. We have more listeners, we have more subscribers, we're, we're, we're moving up the ranks of it slowly, but surely and diligently, and we're figuring it out. Um, but the further I get in, the further I'm like, oh, this is not a hill. This is a fucking mountain, an unimaginable mountain that I had no idea because I never started it with that. Let's start a podcast to get somewhere. Yep. And many of the people who started podcasts around the same time as me, especially during the pandemic, whew, they're gone. Of course. Now, so there's still some and they're really, really good. But the idea here is like, you're part of this industry that is in a sense kind of, I don't know if this is a proper term, but it's kind of become the new media, mm -hmm. right? We've got this old school media that's still viable in many ways, but like podcasts are what people, I know myself, I, I go to podcasts for my news yep. and I don't go to like, kind of like cable uh, news sources or anything like that. So it is a whole new world. But it also seems like it's shrinking a little bit. Like there was just such a glut of it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a lot of it has faded away. How is the business of podcasting going? Yeah. It's so we definitely have passed the phase of the, for lack of a better term, like the gold rush where it's like, you know, yeah. you're, your celebrities, your people that were obviously getting written these huge checks that obviously go on MSNBC and CNN where it's like Joe Rogan got nine kajillion dollars and, you know, Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy got a million dollars to, you know, bring her podcast to Spotify exclusively. Like those those deals are over because people you had because the podcast because podcasting in general is an open medium like. There were people obviously, like Spotify is obviously trying to keep people on their app as long as humanly possible, whether you're listening. They don't care what you're listening to, as long as you're there, baby. <laughs> and so that's that was their play, where they were just like, okay, we have these exclusive podcasts, and so we've spent a lot of money at this, but now where it's like, oh, the great reckoning of the entertainment industry, broadly speaking, whether it was the fact that you can't just continue to spend money and the profit and loss sheet is continuing to bleed red. And people are like, hey, so are we ever going to make money ever? Like, is there a, a path forward? 
So many of these companies, like the, you know, the chickens have come home to roost where they're like, okay, now we need to sort of, you know, fortify the castle, so to speak, to be like, okay, we have this network of shows, big, small, everything in between. How are we going to serve these shows from a, you know, promotional perspective where it's like, if we are a network, how are these shows going to promote each other? And like, how are we going to bring benefit there besides just like throwing a producer on it or whatever? Um, then how are we going to succeed at monetizing these things? Like all of the sort of nuts and bolts of about why people work with podcast networks, people are having to pay more closer attention to. So the business of podcasting is still very robust in regards to, you know, the, the growth spike is still happening. People are spending money still. Um, there, you know, it goes through as in every advertising medium, it goes through ebbs and flows, but people do recognize the value in it to where it's like, you don't, how it was three to four or five years ago, where it's like most of the conversations I was having with people were like, what is a podcast? How do I get it? There's less of that now. And it's more so, hey, like this should literally be a part of your, what they call in the biz, the media mix, where it's like, yes, we understand you're advertising on television, on radio. Like you need to include podcasts on this because you are literally missing hundreds and thousands of people. I know it sounds like a pitch, but like you are missing all of these people that are like literally not advertised to on any other medium because they're Netflix subscribers on the premium level where they don't have ads, they have Hulu without ads or whatever. Like all of these places where people are expecting to see adver advertisements, they're not there for anybody. And so most people that are under a certain age like are so nascent with advertising. And then plus, because podcast advertising is so, for lack of a better term, like native where it's like oh i hear my favorite host talking about this thing i'm like i'm listening tell me more that it, you can never it's not like people are watching you know the nfl and being like oh my gosh like you know whatever quarterback a is endorsing this product he probably drinks it all the time this beer or whatever it's like there's the, that, that that connectivity has never existed in television but it has existed in podcasting so because that's sort of hard baked into the dna of what this industry is um that just makes it even more enticing for clients. So it's still in growth mode, but it definitely is not the silly money that people were paying when interest rates were low. And, you know, people were just like, we just need to focus on subscribers and growth. And now it's like, okay, that's, that's changed now. So let's figure out how to make money off the thing that we are focused on. Uh, it's funny you say that about advertising and podcasts because I pay to have YouTube with no ads. Absolutely. I pay to have Netflix with no ads. Anything I can pay to not have ads on, yeah. I am paying that. I'm listening to my, whatever my favorite podcast is and I'm deep in it. Uh, let's say like, you know, I'm, I'm doing a workout or whatever it is and I'm deep in it. An ad comes on depending how, how busy I am. Sometimes I'll let it play or I'll be like, no, I don't want to listen to this. Of course. And I'll get through it. I'll yep. like fast forward through it. But the thing that always stands out is I remember the name of the company that they're working with. And I, so I don't even listen to the ad, but right. I'm now aware of something. Yes. Even from an annoyance perspective yeah. that I wasn't. And then if I think of, okay, well, what am I, what am I going to buy? Like in this thing, that company pops into my head. Like, ah, it's so annoying. Their ad was on, but I wonder if it was any good. It, it does have, it's probably outside of just seeing billboards places, like just like visual ads Yep. Um, in like the physical world. It's probably the only place that gets ads get to me based on on how i've built uh built my stuff because i don't have like i don't i don't spend time on instagram or any of those things of course so it's like 
it's the only one. And I, I can literally, for any podcast I listen to, I can tell you who advertises on them yeah. for every single one. It, 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 it cuts through in ways that you cannot, you, it, it, unless you are a listener yourself, it's sometimes hard to articulate that value where people are, it, and it sounds like obviously we're just being podcast hands here, but it's like we are because there is a inherent value at just being like, oh, you want to like cut, cut through the noise. You want to be disruptive. It's just like, well, how about you advertise to people who are just like literally not engaging with advertising at all? And like, that's where podcast comes into play because you're just missing a huge, huge swath of people. Really? And occasionally there'll be something advertised that I'm actually interested in, like, you know, like BetterHelp or something like that. Where exactly. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, well, that's cool. What an interesting thing. Yep. Um, I am a podcast head and I was not before I started a podcast. I never listened to podcasts outside of yours and then like maybe a couple other music ones. Sure. I'm not like a strong technology guy. So like I don't, it's, I can get a podcast, but right. it's like I don't, I don't spend a lot of time with like technology of outside of email or basic, basic uh, internet stuff. Um, or, but actually since starting a podcast, I've gotten super into YouTube. I've gotten into all these, these different things, uh, but I love podcasts and I'll tell you what I, I love about it. It's the same thing I love about bands. It's like, oh, someone just decided to do that. They just decided to be like, I'm going to make this thing. Yep. And let's say it's like, I don't listen to like funk, but let's say it's a funk band. I could be like, oh, it's cool. Someone just decided to do that. Yeah. Or if it's a podcast and technology, I am not a technology guy, but I'm like, oh, that's cool. Someone decided to do that. Right. I like the idea. I like the angle. Yeah. I, I just like the willingness to put yourself out there in a way that's like very vulnerable because as soon as you put anything into the world, you're inviting critique. Yep. And of course, with most things, like you get a lot of positive feedback at first, but the more positive feedback, that's where all this other stuff comes. And overall, the feedback for our podcast has been like really good, really positive. Like at the Indecision show, I had this dude just randomly come up and give me his business card. He's like, I love your podcast. And I was like, damn, like, yeah, we're, just like, like we're watching Undertow. Like that's fucking crazy. Like last, last, but I would imagine this to happen, but great. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was cool. But then also occasionally and I've, I've had a couple moments where I was like, fuck, like, holy shit. Like, dude, what did I do to you? Like, holy crap. Yeah, like this is not, yeah, th th you shouldn't have this violent of a reaction towards the thing I'm doing. Totally, totally, totally. Um, but the, the willingness to put yourself out there and to build, going to back to something you said earlier, it's like when you have a podcast that you're working on, you're building a relationship with your audience Yeah. because you have to earn their trust mm -hmm. that episodes are going to be good that you've got the best intentions in play. And the more you build a relationship with your audience, the more kind of daring you can be with the types of podcasts you have or the types of guests and the types of things. Yeah, I love every aspect of it, but it's it's challenging. And so I wanna to go to the vulnerability space and, and I want you to stop me wherever you wanna stop because sure. we've, we've kind of talked about this before, but you are kind of the classic heart in your sleeve guy. Yeah, And um, anyone listening to this who doesn't know you is probably like, oh, that's like a very positive guy. Uh, but you've had your own share of troubles, which you have been very, very open about, especially things having to do with like mental health and challenges. So yeah. wherever you want to go from there. Yeah. The, and I appreciate you not only reckon, I mean, cause that's clearly a signal I send out in the world. And so when people understand that they know, frankly, like how to approach me, which is usually like with open arms, open hearts, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. cliche, hardcore lyric you want to put in there. So like specifically in regards to, um, I mean, the first thing that pops in my mind is like my wife went through a long battle with cancer, like a five year, uh, you know, trial and tribulation. She, fortunately, she's in great health now. She's technically considered cancer free. But it was, um, you know, at that time, it's like I'm not 
old, all things considered. I mean, my early 40s, but like she, uh, we encountered this. It was probably around, she was 34, 35, roughly speaking. And so, you know, have a child, like there was a lot that was going into this and it was like a completely rare form of cancer, all this sort of stuff. So she's a very private person, but um, she obviously understands I'm not. <laughs> and so, but we had to have a discussion about it where I was like, I can't not address this, not only like in all the public facing things I do from the podcast, from, you know, Instagram, from everything. Like, I don't want to keep this just my own desires. Like I, I would feel weird keeping this from people broadly speaking, but I had to have a conversation with her where I'm like, I like you are obviously the author of your own story, your own life. Like I don't, I will share as much as you want to, you, as much as you're comfortable with. So in navigating that, and she was very much like, you can share as much as you want. Like, you know, this is, even though I'm going through it, like this is as much of your story as it is my story. So. I was just, I was like, all right, well, like the floodgates are open. Like I am going to put it out there. I'm going to put out this entire journey, whatever that, whatever trajectory that may go, good, bad, everything in between. And not like oversharing in regards to just like, oh, here's her in the hospital getting chemo. Like certain elements of it we shared, but like not to the point where it was one of those things where it was like, while I was trying to elicit, you know, emotion and connection, I wasn't, um, I wasn't trying to exploit whatever it was that we were going through for, you know, extra additional, you know, impressions, but I, like that was not part of the consideration set. Cause like that can obviously be, you know, ghoulish where people are sharing their stuff where it's just like, dude, that's like too much. I never felt, uh, I never felt like we were doing that. Um, and I say we, because obviously like this wasn't even affecting me. Like I was healthy. My son was healthy. Um, but in putting it all out there, it was like the, and this is going to probably harken back to many of your experiences in regards to like playing shows and the connection that you can get with people, obviously like after you play and just those really intense conversations you can have about whatever a person derives from your art. The things that really got me emotional during that whole process of sharing everything it wasn't so much of like the difficult moments of like watching my wife in pain or the tough doctor visits or the waiting for the test to come back. Like all that was obviously excruciating. Where I got emotional was like people of all shapes and sizes. Like I'll give you a story and like whether or not Scott Vogel wants this to be shared is that's sorry. Sorry, Scott. I'll apologize to you. But it was I was living with my parents at the time because the house that we purchased, we were redoing. So live with my parents for the better part of like a year and a half, which was a absolute blessing because if that was, if we were separate from them, it would have been really, really difficult for me to maintain all of our schedules. Anyways, the reason I mentioned that was because like my address was not a quote unquote normal address where people knew to send me stuff. I got a card in the mail from Scott Vogel. This was maybe a couple of weeks after I had shared on Instagram that my wife was going through this. It was the simplest card where Scott was basically like, I mean, I've known him for a long time, but like, I wouldn't call him a close, close friend. Like, you know, I don't go back 30 plus years like Chris Logan from Chokehold. He sent me a card of just basically saying like, you know, I'm, I'm here if you need anything, just like the simplest of things. But the fact that he had to chase down this, like my parents address, like, you know, I mean, yes, it was maybe available in an email or two that I maybe sent him many years ago. 
But that is what really got me emotional, where it was one of those things where people from all shapes and sizes, all usually related to music in some capacity, were reaching out to me, just, just being there. And then there were other people where it was like that even weren't related to music that I just like worked with in the past. But that was what really, really shook me to my core of just like all of these relationships that this ephemera that we think that, you know, we create when it gets reflected back on you when you're living. Because I mean, the joke is where it's like, you know, like people only say nice things at your funeral. And it was like, I got to witness this where people that don't know my wife at all, they have no relationship with her. They just have a relationship with me. But they were just like, man, I am there for you. I don't even know her. I don't even technically care about her. I mean, they do obviously by default, by through marriage they do. But that is what really, 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 like I said, shook me to my core of just how unbelievable people can show up in, and even if it's just as simple as like an Instagram message or whatever, like all of that really, really, I wasn't expecting to be so caught up in that, of those feelings, of that's where the emotion was being elicited. But that's what really, really shook me. The interesting line when you're talking about like sharing in a way that creates connection, sharing versus sharing being ghoulish. Yep. And it it's a I don't want to say it's tough. It's like everyone's different. Like of course. One, one person's gonna look at something and being like, Oh, you're just doing this for legs or blah. Of course. And it's the same way where someone might be like, they look at someone's behavior like you're just doing it for attention. Yep. It's like people are doing something for a reason. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you think that reason is a good reason or a bad reason. It's up to you. It's your your perspective. Yep. I think people sharing, especially things with like health, mental health is important. And you can always just mute. Like I've, you know, like I've had people who are sharing a bunch of stuff on social media that I was like, good for you, but I got my own stuff going on. I've got a lot of anxiety right now. I can't, I can't be watching this. Yep. Mute. Okay. You just mute it. In fact, I literally am not on Instagram anymore because I don't want to have negative critiques of what what people are sharing or why they're sharing it. Mm-hmm. And people share, should share whatever the hell they want. Of course appropriately you know like there's some things i i think you there's some opinions i don't want to see from people but yeah it's their right whatever it is but you can always just choose to mute or to follow or to pay attention yeah and i think we're in a better position when people are if people's go, if people are going through something from a mental health perspective and they're sharing from like a real space yep um, and again who am i to judge what's real but i'm just speaking in generalities or a health thing i think it's it's beneficial um did a podcast with my mom not that long ago. And uh, my dad lives with dementia. And we talked a lot about that. And, um, you know, my parents, they're, they're still married, right? But my dad lives in a home and he doesn't know who we are anymore. And my mom talked a lot about that. And on one side, someone could be like, oh, like, you know, that's to draw people to the podcast. And for another side, it could be like, no, this is for everyone else who's in early stages of this and doesn't know what to do doesn't know how to process it, doesn't know yeah. where to go to help, or for people who've been through it and can look back and give us advice. And we've, I've had both on both sides. I've had people reach out and be like, dude, I'm, we're going through this now. Like, thank you for putting that up. And I've had people be like, hey, five years from now, this is probably how you're going to feel. And if you are, like, reach out to me. I think if you do something, you do it from the right place and you, and you do it well, because like anything worth doing should be done well. Sure. If you're going to, and you do it well, I, I think it's such a, it gives people the chance to show that they that they care and that they're that human beings have a really strong good streak if you set up the conditions for them to show it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think to that point too, just the idea of being able to navigate like the idea of broadcasting that, like whatever it is that you're going through, 
to me, the instinct that I immediately went to was just like, I, if I can't be, and this is going to sound like it's just a walking cliche, but if like, if I can't be the best version of myself to you or anybody else, like there, I want them to know why, where it's like, yo, I'm in the middle of this. Like, I want you to be aware of this. So not like you need to treat me with kid gloves where I'm like, oh, should I even like bring up like, how's your wife's health? Like, I, I totally understand why people would not want to bring that up or whatever. But at the same time, it's like broadcasting that just makes you more human because you're going through something that is obvious. I mean, especially when you're talking about the curated lives that we live, you, if you're not sharing as much as you, as much as you're going through, like then you're obviously just sharing this snippet of yourself, which is fine. And that's how most people live. But it was like, I can't do this and not talk about this in some capacity and just be like, all right, we're going to keep this private. We're going to keep this locked down. I was like, that's not my own instinct. Like no matter what it is that we're going through, it's not my instinct. So I'm like, I just want to make sure you're okay with it. And probably like, we probably would have to navigate it differently if she was, you know, as online as I am or as, as similar of a personality as I was. But because she wasn't, she was just like, no, that's totally fine. Like, you know, as long as they're, as long as there is that, um, you know, attention to detail, like what you're talking about, where like if you're doing something, you're doing it well, then I'm like, yeah, as long as we're portraying what it is that we're going through, then so be it. And then that way, in turn, people, like you said, will obviously offer unsolicited advice, <laughs> no matter what, which is, you know, that's that's fine. And people are trying to identify with them with whatever it is you're going through. But understanding that people know who what it is that you're going through if they're approaching you at a certain time. And that's like just beneficial in general to your point you know it's funny unsolicited advice i actually solicited advice from someone the other night like a friend of mine who i who i love i asked her advice and they started giving me their advice and i was like i wish i hadn't asked for this <laughs> you're like wait a minute i i, I revoked that statement yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't that their advice was bad yeah it was they had just gone through something like kind of similar to what i so that i've been going through yeah and like it had this happy ending like it had a happy ending and i was like I don't think this is going to go that way. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think your advice, knowing the parties involved is good advice. And I was like, I, I started kind of like backpedaling. Like I kind of didn't want to talk about it anymore, but they were already like, almost like, listen, son. Like, yeah. I, like I was like, She's like oh, <laughs> damn. Yeah. This, well, this, this, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn on this one. Like can't bring this back. Totally. Um, but speaking to, uh, to giving people chances to be a, a good person. I, I, there's something I told you last time I saw you at a show that I want to talk about now. Yes. Um, it has to do with you and me. Sure. So you and I have known each other for a long time, but yep. always just like very like, oh, hey, how you doing? In like, passing, yeah, yes. Just really, really in passing. We've been at each other's shows. You know, we've, we've, we've talked. Um, when I went through a really difficult period in my life, and it wasn't just like one thing. It was, you know, my dad got sick in this period. I got fired from my job in this period. I went through like uh i went through what went on to be like a very very catastrophic divorce like really i went through a series of events within a very short period that was like totally changed who i am as a human being changed my life flipped everything upside down i went through a period where um and anyone from the punk and hardcore scene is going to know what i'm referring to i went through a period where i just was out of contact with everyone mm -hmm. and and I wasn't just out of contact with everyone. I was off social media, didn't have Instagram, didn't have Facebook. I deleted all of it. Um, I had pulled away from most people that I was uh, friends with. And I really just had a, a small group of people that I was speaking to. 
And during that time, I was, I was building up cadence. Um, but I remember feeling this great sense of um, isolation and desperation. Like, like I don't have... I don't have what I, I don't have an ability to speak to people about what's going on for me. It's terrified to just hit, hit people up and being like, Hey, are we cool? Like, do you, you know, like, and also it's like, you don't want to kind of start being like, here's my side of the story. I was just like, you know, like, okay. And I just remember feeling like I have never in my life felt like I have no ability to communicate with people. Nobody's coming to me for interviews. Cause I wasn't playing in a, in a, in an active band. Um, and, from a band perspective, I was, had become kind of radioactive. My, me and my friend, group of friends have become a bit radioactive and nobody's reaching out to us or for any good reason. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the business was going great, but my personal life was a train wreck. And all I had was like these few friends I was in touch with and out of nowhere, you hit me up and, and I, I started an Instagram. And in fact, I was so hesitant to start an Instagram mm -hmm. that I started it, but I didn't even go under my own name. I just kind of had this other name. Of about course. It. Then I've got the Instagram. I'm having anxiety attacks about it, like really intense. I get messages from people. I'm like leaving them unread for days. Um, and then you hit me up out of the blue and they're like, hey, do you want to do an interview? And I remember talking to a couple friends and they were like, don't do it. Not because of you. They're, sure. they're like, you're inviting, you're inviting something negative do this and you are putting your hand up and saying hey i'm still here and you don't want that and in fact i had one friend really push on me it was like don't do it it's like it's only bad things are going to come from this don't do it and i was so afraid to do that but i trusted you because i'd follow the show you know what i mean of and and we'd known each other but we just known each other a bit but i also knew like you're a decent person yeah and you'd been very vulnerable online and shared things before and i was like okay i'll do this and i remember doing the interview with you and sounding composed but inside just like being a ball of nerves like sure. i've never probably never been more nervous to talk to someone in my life sure and then we finished it and then i was very prescriptive with you was like i don't want this on there I, I don't want that totally and then I was very interested in how many people were listening to it. And not because it was from an ego perspective, because I was actually kind of scared for people to listen. To it. Right. Yeah. Like I it was like, oh, like, oh, X amount of people have listened to it. And that would be both like a, a good number for me where it's like, okay, I've kind of put a flag out there, but also a like, holy fuck. Like, what is that? I don't want mean? this to blow up. Right. Yep. Right. And that's why I was checking in with you so much on it. And I only got the best feedback from from people where people are like oh my god i haven't talked to you in years how are you i heard this it made me want to reach out to you like i didn't know what you were going through like hey man we should hang out like oh hey be on my podcast like are you playing music now do you want to like it was like suddenly it was like um i had come from being living like underwater yeah. to like kind of breathing air again sure and i think of that that you had no reason to do that because you have a plenty of guests that you can get any given time and also it's like you kind of put a cloak of the brand of your podcast around me and said it's okay and you didn't ask me like stupid questions you weren't trying to like push me to do something i didn't want to do and like you basically without saying it to me was like hey man it's okay to be a person in in this world like this world we walk in you can be a person in this world. Let me just help you here. 
And I know I said this to you, and when I said it to you in person, you're like, oh, oh, that's no, it was it. Not only did it resonate with me because like helping you in any capacity, it's like that's obviously a you know unintentional consequence or not consequence, but an unintentional benefit. There we yeah. go. I think the the thing that hits me about what you're saying in regards to that is just like being able again to give sounds dumb, but just like you're given the space for, but it's like you, your value as a person is not attached to anything that you're doing like that. It, that's the initial attraction to point for most of us for whatever it is that we're doing. Totally. But the core value of like, Oh yeah. Like, to your point of just like you know your reputation precedes you where i was just like i know a ram is has interesting thoughts has interesting experiences all of these things i knew preceded me wanting to speak to you and i was just like i was like i regardless of the timing of the reach out i was just like oh this feels enough away from your you know traumatic event of going through where i was like oh yeah like this feels appropriate and like i just want to know more about you as an individual but all of those things that you can give to a person by just like you said, opening up something, whatever, however you felt going into it, where it's just like, I want to control certain aspects of this. I want to control the presentation. You still were like very open very, yourself. You were just being yourself. And that was really not only special to me, but obviously special for you to open yourself up so that people could be like, oh, I can tap into a RAM. And like, it's totally good. It, it was totally good. And from that, I was able to do change. I yep. was able to put a, a, a put out a new record, which I wouldn't have done beyond that. And I know, I know it might seem like I'm like kind of hyping up this thing, but it's like the advice of my friends is like live underwater for the rest of your life. And not because they don't want me to, to, to be out there. It's because right. they want to protect me. Of you know? course. And when you're in a situation where it's like, I'm connected to something bad that happened. I'm not the 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 doer of the bad right, thing, but I'm source. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm connected to it. And you want to you want people who have been hurt or wounded to have the space. You want to, them to be able to express themselves. And you want to give them all that space and you want to you want to witness that and listen to it and do what you can to help. And then a year passes and two years passes and four years before years pass and you kind of feel like you know, what do I, what do I do here? Like, yeah. do I say anything? Do I, and you want to be really respectful of the space that people deserve to have uh, to express themselves. And also you want to kind of find your way to not diminish that or take away from that, but kind of eke your way back into normality yeah. uh, for yourself after, after really having a lot of reflection and, and a lot of time. And I try and be very thoughtful. I talk about it because I don't want to redirect and being like, Hey, like, you know, Look at look at us over here and, and look at this bad stuff because there's there's like serious conversations that have happened and continue to happen uh, to address things and at the same time it's like hey I don't want to ignore it I, I want to if people want to talk about it I'm here to talk about it I'll totally there to talk about it and as I have through the years and also I I want to be able to kind of I want to move forward in my life. And I felt like while I was building this great business, I was doing really good um, and I was able to help my parents and I was able to do these things. I just felt that like who I am as a person was gone. Right. And I was just a shell of a human being that was going because also there's like kind of like unaddressed trauma. I hadn't worked through things. 
going on that on your podcast and you kind of giving me an elbow like hey man it's okay like come come talk for a little bit and it was so casual and so so relaxed and you really working with me on on kind of working with how I wanted to present it and also working with me like when I'm like how many numbers it's like you're not being weird about it you know you understand yeah. it was such a difference maker it set me up to do this podcast it set me up to, to do change and it really allowed me to position myself back into a space where it's like hey like I just want to move forward in my life and I am so appreciative of you and I've always appreciated you as a just a person in the world I think you do cool things you're an interesting guy like you do a cool podcast but it was just such a like such a thing for you to do that frankly like nobody was like you know what we should have on our podcast we should go get a ram or you know we should interview a ram like nobody was doing that at that point yeah it was a massive thing for me so i just want to take the time to like really clearly unpack that and thank you for really like bringing me back into helping me get back on my feet yeah that i mean i have no words besides like i'm very glad that i can be that for you and it's just um that's exactly the type of conversations that you can have and it wasn't like we that was obviously the reason or impetus for me to reach out to you it was just like like i said i find value in you as a human i think your experience with everything that you've done is incredibly interesting and that was the end of the conversation as far as why i wanted to have you and just the fact that all of these you know the the butterfly effect of like oh where the, the wings you know turn into a tsunami across the world or whatever all of those things to pull you back into just like, yeah, this is the world that you have attached yourself to and you've provided a lot of value in. And it's just like having the rug pulled out from underneath you. And then fortunately you having to go through all of the difficult things that you went through to ultimately emerge of being like, now I am a, you know, now I'm a person that has gone through something, not saying that you've never <laughs> think through prior to that, but just like being able to pick all of these pieces up and be like, okay, yeah, like I can be here and it is an important place for me to still exist in and bring value to. And like, I think that that's just whether or not I was able to articulate that of wanting you on the podcast, but it was just, I, I felt, I just felt that compulsion where I was like, oh, I, I want you on here. And just because I, I find all of those things interesting about you. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, so now we're heading towards the end, end of the interview. Yes. Are you ready for the crucial three? Of course, I'm ready for the crucial three. <sighs> I, I, I think of really, okay, I have, I have the first one. And this one is just, I'm looking for pure speculation. Totally. Hey, part of it's going to be based on the patterns that you've seen, but part of it's just going to be like gut feeling. Yep. Business of podcasting. Yes. What does it look like five years, 10 years, and 15 years out? So I think the bar the technological barriers that you spoke of previously, I think those will continue to uh, drop to where when I, you know, we obviously don't have a button in our car that says podcasts. Yeah. And so, you know, radio is going to continue to erode people. Are, it's just a less important part of most people's lives, especially from a generational perspective. Um, there are certain aspects of it that create value. Uh, but for the most part, like young people obviously don't. <laughs> interact with the radio at all. Yeah. So I think as those technological barriers continue to uh, erode, more and more people are going to engage with podcasts, not only from a news perspective, entertainment, like it's going to, it is the only medium, because I mean, you know, whatever, obviously people look at AI and, uh, you know, I mean, remember when we were all going to live in virtual reality, like obviously that didn't happen. I mean, there's some version of it, but yeah. So it, the fact that it has, 
podcasting has latched on and has stayed and has only grown larger. So I think it's going to continue. People are going to make investments. People are still like, I would compare to like a grade level perspective. I would say podcasting is probably, probably maybe like fifth or sixth grade. Like they know how to tie their shoes, roughly speaking as an industry, (laughs) but like, it's not as evolved as obviously like radio and television. So in five to 10 to 15 years, like it's only going to become larger. We have no clue where the ceiling is until we see that ceiling, until we see the plateau of it, then we'll probably be able to more accurately explain where it's like, okay, this is as popular as like television was for, you know, whatever, the final episode of MASH where like half of the entire nation (laughs) tuned into it or whatever. Um, We're going to see what that looks like from a mainstream perspective, or if it's going to be that you know, completely valuable and nichified audience where it's like, I don't care what you're interested in. You're going to find a podcast about that, that you're going to dive deep to. And it's going to be your favorite thing of all time. And every ad that travels in there is going to be the most meaningful thing you've ever heard. That's where I think we're going, we're, we are heading from an overall business perspective. I want someone to do a podcast only about seven seconds. It, I, I mean, there's, you can obviously start it tomorrow. I'm not starting it. It's too much work. I just want to, I want to listen. All right. Question number two. Yes. Um, so I was at the indecision, uh, indecision 30th anniversary shows over the weekend. And I was talking to Kyle Whitlow from Ravelry and we were both laughing. Cause we were like, you know, we both did record labels that got to a certain point and then wrapped up our record labels. Cause you hit this point where you're like, Phew, yes, I've a got, like a, I've got a real job. Yeah. How do I keep this going? And like, what, what, how do I make decisions? And like, I don't necessarily like dealing with bands and like all of this stuff. And we were laughing because we were like, man, Dave Mandel is just built out of sterner stuff, man. He's been doing indecision for 30 years, powered through it. The highs, Low, went through the yep. lows, he powered through it. And I think if anything, the label's like more viable now than ever. Mm-hmm. Like tons of bands from tons of different uh, places, different styles. It's just a loved label but it wouldn't have been, it would have faded to the background, just like React and to some degrees like, like Ravelry, mm-hmm. had he not powered through it. So if you think about all the podcasts that are coming up, yeah. people are interested in it, maybe they're doing it now or they wanna do it, but they hit that point where they're like, maybe at like episode 76 or episode 232, and they're like, oh, this is so much. What advice do you have for someone who, to help them power through? Yeah. I mean, just adjust all that because you, if you are communicative to your audience and you're just like, Hey, so we're going to take a month off. We're going to take two months off. or We're only going to publish one episode a month or whatever it is that can get you to ref. Cause like, if you don't care about your idea anymore, that's obviously, that's not your North star. You should probably shift. You should probably think about it differently. But if you it's if it's just a matter of like oh, timing, like, oh, my gosh, it's so much work, whatever, that's fine. Like, just put just communicate the expectation. The moment that you do that, like your audience, like, yes, of course, it like may diminish in some capacity. But like, as long as you are public about it, then people will adjust and understand that it's like, oh, OK, like. I'll just be getting less of this and that's fine. And maybe they'll be like, oh, I'll donate via PayPal to you or whatever. Like you never know where that decision can make. But as long as you are, because I mean, Dave, as much as he's done with Indecision, there were literal years where he'd put out one record at the very most because he was pursuing his photography career. He was doing all these other things. 
And I think that's what most people, when you're in the middle of it, you don't realize what people are paying attention to on the outside. And while indecision wasn't as vital of a label in the 2010s as it is now, or as it was in the early 2000s, that doesn't mean that Dave obviously washed his hands of it. It was just a matter of like, oh, I'm like, you know, of course he's not a public person, so he's not going to put this diatribe on his website being like, I'm releasing less records, so expect this to wind down or whatever. But you can do that with a podcast. And so I think that whatever creative process you're going through or creative exercise you're going through, as long as you're open about it, being like, oh, we're playing less shows, we're doing this, we're doing that, people are going to follow along and be like, okay, like I'll just be able to wait for it to return or, it, or I will heavily invest in the thing while it's around for this indeterminate amount of time. So, yeah. Uh, great. Amazing answer. And uh, Mandel, I love you. You're the best. Thank yes. you for Indecision Records. Um, all right. Last question. Yes. Now, you know, usually I end on a music question. I am going to end on one with you, but since the 90s are back, yes. everyone loves the 90s everyone now. Loves the three most vital, important, incredible emo bands okay. from the 90s. And I don't mean the modern sure. emo. I mean like what you and I know. Right. The Midwestern emo. Sure, sure. So what are the three, if you were going to say these are my top ones that you got to check out? Yeah. Obviously, we'll go with slightly deeper cuts, so to speak. Um, I'm going to be, I'll be a little Orange County specific on two of them just because. Um, so there's a, there was a band from this area, which has the most quintessential emo name. Well, actually, both of them do. But one was called Swing Set in June. <laughs> and the, and you'll, you'll laugh at this one, too. The other one was called 100 Words for Snow. I've heard of the second one. Yes. So Swing Set in June comprised of members from like 18 Visions. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else played. I mean, but basically like every Orange County hardcore band, Adamantium. It was there, short-lived, probably about eight songs. It, I mean, like, I, I wore out the tape. It was so much fun. They played, you know, regional shows, like never toured or anything like that. Just the exact perfect distillation of what emo was in the late 90s, where it was elements of, like, you know, long drawn out mineral influence, some catchy Get Up Kid stuff, but for the most part, perfect emo. Same thing could be said about 100 Words for Snow existed around this area like i i'm fairly certain the most notable thing they did was they released a split with impel split seven inch um but i only saw them maybe two or three times but it was right in that early when you're going through the transition phase of being like oh I, i'm allowed to listen to music that isn't screaming <laughs> they were a band that i saw locally where i was like oh this was like this is really cool like and they weren't even exactly like punk or hardcore kids per se they just like were heavily emo dudes so loved that seven inch. Um, they only released, yeah, that split and then a seven inch beautiful white cover, white vinyl, of course. <laughs> um, the third one is a band I will pull from Long Island called Inside. So they released, uh, they put out records, oddly enough, on a Southern California record label called Redwood Records. Um, they put out a couple seven inches and then a full length. They came out here. I saw them with Elliot at Coos Cafe, probably 1998 or something like that. Um, they were like just completely unassuming looking human beings, just beautiful operatic stuff, like over the top melodies, like a little post hardcore influence. But if you bring them up in any Long Island circle, they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, inside dude. They're like, how the hell do you know about that? I'm like, well, cause the record label was in Southern California. I saw them once, but just an amazing band. They're full length. I'm fairly certain 
is not on any stream. I mean, streaming on YouTube. It's called My Funeral. Just a beautiful, beautiful record. So there's some deep cuts. Hell yeah, man. Awesome. All right. So as we're closing off, any last words, anything you want to share? Uh, I appreciate your love for my podcast. I appreciate you having me on here. I appreciate you for everything that you're putting out in the world from that perspective, not only with your bands, but um, yeah, I just, I, I'm excited that we could do this. And yeah, if you want to listen to my podcast, you can do that at Her Words Less and follow me on Instagram. I'm really proud that I've been X Purpose X since I was 15 years old. That's pretty good. I've never changed it. And there was a band from New Jersey called X Purpose X that I excitedly got emails for in the early years of when I was singing and Taken. And I thought there were interviews for Taken, but there were interviews for X Purpose. And I was so bummed. I was like, oh, damn it. But yeah. And then they went on to just become Purpose. They did. They dropped the X's because I think they sold out. Yeah. And they put out that record, Art as a Weapon. Exactly. And then that guy went into, was the singer? He went to a great band that was on Doghouse. Oh, I wanted, didn't they do, no, that was the Silent Majority. It was like Red, Simply Red or something like that. No, that that was Blood Red. Blood Red, thank that you. That was Tommy's next band. That was. Brother, yeah, which yeah. was Perfect. great. Yeah. They went into this other band who was, the full thing was like, oh, it sounds like Dagnassi. sounded nothing like Dagnassi, but right. was sick. Right. It was still great. Yeah. There were two records, one on Doghouse and one on some other label, and both were unbelievable. Okay. Uh, better than Purpose. Yes. Anyways. Yes, at X Purpose X, you can follow me on any social media platform. I'm just uh, proud that I've been very consistent about that. So. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, that's it for another episode of One Step Beyond. And you know what? Keep on keeping on, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.